Please be seated. Well, one more time into the breach, as the, uh, the saying goes. We're at the end of the Easter season. So next week when you come, instead of a reading from Acts, we'll have a reading from the Old Testament again. And, uh, and we wrap up 1 John today. And over the Easter season, we've been listening to this apostle talk about Jesus. John has testified to us about Jesus being our Savior, that he is the Son of God, that he's the propitiation, the sacrifice, the the, the blood sacrifice that covers our sin and brings reconciliation with God. And with reconciliation to God comes reconciliation with one another. He's talked to us about the Christian faith, its essence, its application, how we live in love with one another. And part of that conversation about love, we learned that that love is not just this feeling that we have. It's something that we experience and we receive from God, that we love because God first loved us. In other words, God's love becomes a catalyst, something that empowers us to love him and to love each other. And we learned about the fellowship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. That because God loved us and because Christ paid the price to redeem us, we belong to God and we belong to one another. This brings us, however, to one of the problems, one of the dangers that that I've noticed when people read the Bible. I've noticed that sometimes when, when people read the Bible, they attribute the words on the page to the person who wrote them. The idea goes something like this, that when people read the scriptures, they they come to a a point uh, and they come to this conclusion that what is written there, that's what John thought. Or that's what Paul thought. Or that's what Peter thought. Instead of, this is the word of the Lord. Those who wrote the scriptures, however, didn't see these letters as their own. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes, he says, All scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God. It's his word, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And in 2 Peter, Peter says that no prophecy of Scripture is from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They saw what they were writing as God's Word. The Holy Spirit working through them, speaking through them, writing through them. And John shares this opinion. Today he tells us that that all this stuff that he's been talking about isn't just him testifying about what he thinks this is all about. It's God testifying about Jesus through John. And he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. And this is the testimony of God. And he is born, that he is born concerning his son. In a court case, we listen to the testimony of witnesses in order to decide that case. 
We count on them to tell us the truth. God's testimony is even greater. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It isn't just that God speaks the truth to us through the word. He is truth. And when we encounter him in the word, he impresses his truth upon us. And it's one of the strange things about our sinful nature. When we look at ourselves, we see how quickly we turn from God's truth. And we accept other people's opinions about God. And so we live in a culture that teaches that all paths lead to God. But that's not what God says about himself. He says he has provided one way, and that there is no other name given under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. And another thing that we hear sometimes is that it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something. You know, I can believe the sky is green. I'd be wrong. And maybe that doesn't matter that much. But there are other things that do. And as we think about what God tells us that's true, when we start disagreeing with those things and we start accepting the ideas of the world and we start accepting the ideas of people over God's, when we accept the testimony of the philosophies of the age over God's own testimony, we're going to find ourselves having difficulties with our faith. We accept people's ideas about what's right and wrong, and this is often rooted in pragmatism. You know, because God never asked anything to do anything that was difficult, did he? He never asked people to do anything that went against conventional wisdom. You're like, give up everything that you have, sell it all, and give it to the poor. God wouldn't ask anybody to do that, would he? Or, or how about this one? Love your enemies. That's conventional wisdom right there, isn't it? That, that, just naturally, we love the people that hate us, right? God wouldn't ask us to do that. Or how about this one? If someone forces you to walk one mile, go with them a second one too. He never asked any of his servants to do things that didn't make any sense to them, did he? Like, give their children awful names. This is a good one for Mother's Day. <laughs> Isaiah and his wife had a son. God says, I have a name for him. You're so lucky. You don't have to pick out a name. I, I'll pick it for you. Name him Maher Mahal Mahashbaz, which is awful enough in and of itself. But the name means swift to the plunder, swift to the spoil. How'd you like to play with that kid on the playground? And it was a prophecy against Israel. God wouldn't do something like that to his people, would he? Yeah. Or, or how about this one? To build an ark far from a sea. Or how about something so crazy like this? That one man would die for the sins of all humanity. 
God does not think the way that we think. He does not do the things that we do. God is God. And when his testimony comes to us, it is greater than the testimony of men. It is greater than the philosophies of this world. His testimony is greater, and he testifies that his son, Jesus, is the only Savior given to us, given to us out of God's love. Because he recognized our condition, and he said, I need to provide a way to save them. And so he gave Jesus to shed his blood to reconcile us to himself. All because he loves us. And this is his testimony. And he has placed this testimony in us. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And his life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. God has placed his testimony in you the word of God in our hearts, in our minds, to proclaim it to others. One of the essential roles of parents is to testify, to speak God's word to our children. You know, we do well to remember the godly mothers uh, that God used for so many of us. Moms who taught us about Jesus, who read us Bible stories, which I always kind of get a kick out of that. We read Bible stories. Aren't we just basically reading the Bible when we read a Bible story? They read us the Bible. They read us God's word. Taught us to pray. So many other things. And some some of us were blessed to have that. and, And we give thanks for that. Such an important job that moms have as they they testify and they do this work in their kids' lives. Now, did I just say the dads don't do some of that stuff too? I did not say that. Um, Dads have that responsibility too, but it's Mother's Day, so dads just kind of roll with that. Those who reject God's testimony, John says they make God out to be a liar, and I think that's a pretty significant charge. When we hear God's word and we say, nope, it's not that way, we're saying, no, God's lying to us. Now, if we know that people are going to respond that way, should that keep us from telling people about Jesus? Absolutely not. We continue to share this truth because this truth brings hope and life. The testimony is too important. God gave us eternal life. And that life is in his son through faith in Jesus. And only through faith in Jesus, we have eternal life and fellowship with God. Do we believe that? Do we trust that this isn't John's notion about God and how God works? But this is God telling us this is how it is. 
this testimony about Jesus that you and I have is a matter of eternal life. And friends, eternal life is weighty stuff. When, when you read the Bible to your children and your grandchildren, these are not just nice stories to tuck them into bed with. These are the words of eternal life. Words that give eternal life. And when you speak with your friends and your neighbors about Jesus, that's not just a casual conversation. That's what it might feel like to you. But the Holy Spirit is at work in the midst of that to give eternal life. And God wants you to handle that message of eternal life in two ways. He wants you to cling to it. That's one. This message is for you. That God loves you. And we cling to that. So we never turn away from it. We keep hearing it. We keep cherishing it. We keep abiding in it. Remember, Jesus was talking about that over the last couple of weeks. It means we live in it. But the second thing is we share it. We share this good news of God's testimony. The testimony that is in you. So that, that you can confidently Tell people about Jesus. And we share it with our children, our grandchildren, our enemies, our co-workers. Wherever God gives us this, this holy opportunity to speak of what he has done for us. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. John says, I write this. The Spirit testifies through John but John is no robot. The testimony has taken root in him so that he believes what God says. And what comes off his pen is flown from his faith and from God's lips to our ears. And he testifies about Jesus. He experienced what it means to be changed by God's love by the good news of this gospel of, of Christ's sacrifice for us. And it's as if his, his heart and mind are synced up with God's. His desire is like God's desire, that you may know that you have eternal life through Jesus, through his propitiation, Sorry, I had to say it one more time. It might be a long time before I get to say that word again. John gives me lots of excuses. Other writers don't. So we have this confidence before God to live, to pray, to ask him for anything, and to know that, that he will give us our requests. And I want to pause on that for a moment. So many times, you know, I've, I've taught about this, that when you pray, God answers your prayers. He gives you what you ask for. 
And I've had people say, does that mean I could pray for anything? Well, yeah, you know, God can, you know, you know, but the key, the key is in that word confidence. Confidence from the Latin, with fides, faith. When we pray with faith. And remember, this faith is rooted in God's love, and God's love changes us. In faith, our hearts and minds are transformed by God's love. And we begin to do and to desire things according to his will. And this is what love does. We receive God's love, and we love him, and we begin to love what he loves. Goodness, holiness, righteousness. And we begin to love who he loves. One another, brothers and sisters in Christ. Our neighbors, our enemies. And we do for them and desire for them according to God's will. And so we do acts of kindness. And we share the message of hope. So since God's going to answer our prayer, what should we ask for? More love. So that we can be more like God and we can love him better and love one another more fully. More confidence in Christ's salvation. More faith. And faith for those who don't believe. For faith to hear the testimony of God in the scriptures and to share it with others. Those are the kinds of things that God leads us to pray about. And I want to share just a couple final thoughts from John. Right after this, the book ends in just like, you know, six verses or something like that. And in those verses, he encourages us to pray for one another. That God would keep us from sin. And I find that interesting because often when we pray, we pray because somebody's sick and we pray for healing or they're going through a hard time and we pray for help. But I'm not sure that we pray that often to keep one another from sin. And I think there's a good warning for us there. But then he says this. He says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You are from God, little children. We are in Christ. Live in faith, changed by his love. Amen.